0: You really need to build that team of qualified people, and that's
1: what we help authors
0: do. What if you could just get dressed in the morning to solve your health and wellness needs?
1: We teach
2: kids and make education fun. I'm Richard Gerhart. And I'm Elizabeth
3: Gerhardt. You've just heard some great tidbits from our show. Stay tuned for the rest.
1: Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart.
4: Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. I'm Richard Gearhart, founder of Gearhart Law, a firm specializing in patents, trademarks, and copyrights.
3: I'm Elizabeth Gearhart, not an attorney. But I have a couple of startups and I do the marketing for your heart lock.
4: Welcome to Passage to Profit, everyone, the show that's all about entrepreneurship, small businesses, and the intellectual property that helps them flourish. We have a great guest, Tim McConaughey, founder of Izzard Inc. Publishing, and he's going to be talking about getting published.
3: And then we have Jordan Schindler with New Fabrics. Unbelievable what this guy is doing. Anybody with any pain... or anything or sleep problems even wants to hear what he has
4: yeah i can't wait to hear more about this product It's really innovative and i'm looking forward to that discussion a lot
3: and then we have scott wallace with i'm the chef too really super creative next generation baking kits for kids that they're just gonna love what a fun activity to do with your kid
4: but before we get to our distinguished guests it's time for ip in the news Does artificial intelligence that creates artistic works, is that copyrightable and should it be copyrightable?
3: And what about the base? I think the whole lawsuit is about where does it get the data from to go into its database to allow it to create these in the first place?
4: And so the case that we're talking about today is a class action suit that was started by an artist who had been posting her works on a website called Deviant Art for a long, long time. Her name was Kelly. And so Kelly had painted sort of these fantasy paintings, you know, fantasy art where people were all different colors and everything. It's, well, if you saw the paintings, if you went to her website, you would see just exactly what I'm talking about. But in any case, the website DeviantArt created an AI engine, and it would go through all of the paintings on their website. So this was sort of a gallery, and it would borrow from the paintings and create new paintings based on the data that was on their website. And so a lot of the paintings that the AI engine created were looking a lot like some of the more established artists.
3: But wait a minute. So Kelly was putting her paintings on there for free. DeviantArt wasn't paying her for her artistic creativity, right? She was doing it for free. So now they're going to take what they got for free and make money off it.
4: Right. And that's part of it. So it was, I guess, a real blow to her. And she was very unhappy with uh, what she saw, a lot of the paintings were very similar to hers. And deviant art, and even some of the legal scholars are taking the position, well, this is not copyright infringement. And it's an interesting problem, right? Because other artists borrow from other artists all the time. So what difference does it make, whether it's an AI engine or just another person that borrows the ideas, right?
3: I'll just go back to when we were having some artwork done for Gearheart Law, I asked one of our attorneys, I said, I found this online. If we change it some, can we use it? And she said, no, you need to buy the photo and then you can change it a little bit. But if you even change it a little bit, it still belongs to them. It's still what they created. So that would be copyright infringement. So where is the line? And they're bringing up fair use.
4: Fair use is actually pretty tricky copyright doctrine that excuses some forms of copyright infringement. Here is Andreas Guamades, who's commenting. He says he's a legal scholar at the University of Sussex, and he gets different interpretation of what AI models are doing when they learn. He says the models are learning patterns from the original images and brushstrokes and scripts. And these are things that cannot be covered by copyright, according to him. So he doesn't think that any of this work is really protected.
3: But I guess the other question I would have is, What were the terms and conditions 20 years ago when she started uploading her artwork to this? Were the terms and conditions, we can basically steal your artwork anytime we want and use it for anything we want. And if that's the case, then she doesn't have a case.
4: Anyway, it's time for Richard's Roundtable. Tim McConaughey, you're in the world of copyright based on your business, which is written creative works. Do you have any thoughts on this case that we've been discussing?
1: First of all, I say push this one over to a great IEP attorney, (laughs) which we always say. So I can tell you what we see in the publishing realm is we see that a lot of self published authors, they believe that if something's out there, that they can take it and they can use it. And that's something that I foresee is going to be a problem, especially with. AI and what's coming down the pike of being able to track those images. So whenever we do anything with a cover designer or anything like that, we make sure that not only does the designer license that image or art, then they manipulate it. But we also do as well, because we just want to make sure we're protected. It's not worth a fight. So pay them.
4: Well, I think that's a great process for your company. And I do recommend that if you're doing a lot of creative things, that you do get competent counsel involved to help you make those steps.
5: Jordan?
0: I think it's going to be interesting, especially related to, we've all seen the rise in chat, GPT and Google's now launching their own AI system. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of these types of lawsuits coming up in the future. I tend to lean more on the people side because sort of that's where I have grown the business and I know how hard it is to start something from scratch. So my un-IP attorney perspective would be, hey, could this company have actually just gone to the artist at the beginning and said, hey, are you okay with we do this? I mean, odds are she would have said yes, she was already uploading the art for free. And we probably would have solved this whole thing off the bat. So I think in in most cases, just having an upfront conversation with someone is probably the easiest way to answer a lot of these questions.
3: I agree a hundred percent. It's like this whole do it and ask for forgiveness later. I'm not into that at all. Right. I feel like they could have handled it much better as well if they'd spoken to her first.
4: Right. Or just communicated with all of the artists uploading, telling them what's going to happen, and they could opt in or opt out. I'm sure there's a lot of artists that would have opted in, because in a way, if there's other works out there that are similar to yours, maybe that helps promote your approach and your artwork. So maybe some people would see it as helpful. And Other artists have purer motives. They just want their work to be seen and known. And so maybe this would help them. But then there's other artists who really want to retain control of what the public sees and what they think of them. Well, thank you for that, Jordan. I think that was very insightful. And now it's time to get to the meat of the show. And we'd like to start with our guest, Tim McConaughey. Tim, tell us a little bit about what Izzard, Inc. Publishing does.
1: We're trying to flatten the world of publishing. You know, We're trying to make it so everybody can access the top talent in publishing and get their book out there. If you look at it, you have about a one in a thousand chance of being grepped by a literary agent. And then that literary agent will take your work and give it to about five or six different acquisition editors. So basically, if you want to go the traditional publishing route with a big time player, you have about as good of a chance of getting published as you do of winning the lottery. However, we're seeing that a lot of people can tell a story with the right team and that's what we try and do is we match the author we take a look at their abilities you know their writing abilities but more importantly we gauge their potential and then we let them pick their team and we provide the creative structure and then we walk them through the publishing process
3: so if i bring you my manuscript do you help me clean it up and make it more interesting and more sellable?
1: Yeah. So we have what we call a manuscript assessment process. And this is where we have two independent editors review at least the first portion of the book. A lot of times they'll read all the way through, but we want to know what's good, what's bad. Can we build anything here? And then after that, we have an action plan, which is exactly the steps that you'll need to take to get the book publishable. That's important. It's kind of a tough love process you know, and we tell people that it's tough love. We tell them it's difficult. It's going to hurt a little bit, but we'd rather they know at the very beginning of the process than when they're all done. I think what makes us really different is giving authors true, honest feedback and making sure that their book is publishable. If it's not publishable, we're going to hold it back and say, hey, this, this isn't quite ready and this is the help you need in order to make it happen. And you find that a lot of people are great writers. They just don't have what we call an author platform to jump from. You know, they don't have that audience. So a lot of times with their first time book, they need to build that audience. And that's what we help them with.
3: That's important. I dabbled in writing books a few times and I've taken classes on it. Part of my problem was writing science fiction for young adults. A lot of the editors hate science. so (laughs) They were like, we don't want science fiction books. You're crazy. But also, you have to have a huge marketing machine. You have to have a whole bunch of social media contacts before they'll even look at you. Yeah.
1: If you don't have a platform of about 25,000 followers or more, you're not going to get picked up or a literary agent's not going to look at you.
4: How does somebody who maybe has a great book, has a great idea, they have a flair for writing, but they don't have the following yet. How do they break into the world of publishing?
1: It's tough. First, you have to have good content. And, th- and that's the key. You'll look at the self-publishing market where anyone can publish and get things out there over 2 million people do it a year. Well, what's the problem with that? You haven't built your team. You don't know, you know, it's like going and creating music without a producer or a show without a producer. You really need to build that team of qualified people and that's what we help authors do. We also, you know, we analyze where they're at. We see what their potential is as an author. And then we match them with a really good team. You know, those same people who work for Penguin Random House in the day, you know, they moonlight for us and, and help our authors out because in the end, they really want to just get down there. They got into publishing to help the authors. And that's what we do.
3: It seems like everybody's writing a book these days and they're self-publishing it. And maybe they're throwing in a couple of pictures or something. There's tricks to getting on the Amazon bestseller list that I learned about from somebody. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it, I
4: mean, it's it, it seems like publishing has changed. You're kind of trying to gaming the system a little bit.
3: People game the system and a lot of books out there are, just really aren't as good as books used to be, I have to say.
1: You're hitting on that point. They're not as good as they used to be because they're not going through any kind of vetting process. You need an editor to pick things apart. You need to say, hey, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. And you're right. You can game the system. You know, being an Amazon bestseller, what, they have like 16,000? Categories that update that can update every hour. I think we looked at it. You could have over 3 million Amazon best selling authors a year, you know. <laughs> so yeah, it sounds great, but at the end of the day, it's like, okay, does this mean anything? And so when somebody says, hey, we can guarantee you're an Amazon bestseller, well. I guess if you publish a book and you're out of two million a year and three million could be, you know, the Amazon list, well, you you better be an Amazon bestseller, right?
3: Right. So if I came to you with the manuscript, because I always have a book in the back of my head, I have one right now that I want to write, and I have never passed muster with any editors that I've ever looked at what I've written. What's the first thing you would help me do? Would you look at it and say, okay, well, it's a nonfiction. It's about a cat. And you might say, this is okay content people might want to read this but the way you wrote it really is awful so then what do you do
1: Our approach is a solution-based approach. We want to figure out how writing can be publishable. How is your manuscript publishable? So we take it to two independent editors. They read the first part, and a lot of times they'll read all the way through it. But they're looking for pros and cons. They're looking for how this is marketable. They're looking for actionable items in that manuscript or tendencies like you're telling and not showing. That's a big one that we get. It's much more difficult to show your story than it is just to say, hey, here it is. And that's what we really try and do is say, okay, here's the problems with it. Have a moment. Be unhappy with us. It's the tough love process. But then you're looking for an action plan. It's like, now what? How do I move forward? And that's what we're really good at is saying, here's the type of editing you need. You need a developmental edit. Then you need a line editor. And we believe things will be good to go from there. That's our approach. And we've found that it's worked out really well. We've had a lot of first-time authors come in and then leave with award-winning books and publishers weekly Star reviews.
3: Tim, do you have the marketing piece for people then? Because we were talking about that before. Like if you don't have a bunch of followers on social media, forget it. Yeah. That's that's
1: tough. I mean, yeah, you have to get out there, you have to do it, but in the world of books and publicity and PR. You want to go with an agency that's selective. You want to go with a publicist who's selective and knows that they can get it in there. So sometimes you have to write the book. You have to show them because they ultimately want you to be successful as well. And so it's hard if they don't pick up on it or if you can't find the right publicist to pick up on it, it's hard to get it out there. It still can be done. I mean, you go through and there's a great, you know, Book Publishers Weekly Book Life is a great place to get reviews from. But you really need to build your reviews first and say, this is what the critics say. And then you try and say, hey, you know, will you rep my book? Can we get it out there? And the other big difference, though, is authors will pay us. They pay for the very beginning. They pay for the manuscript assessment because we're adding value there. We find that authors who pay for the process are also much more vested, and they do a better job. They take the feedback from the editors better. So that's an important part of the program that we've seen that's elevated authors' writing.
4: Tim McConaughey, founder of Izzard, Inc., publishing. More passage to profit right after this.
6: What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at Gearheartlaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have law.com At Gearhart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearhart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs ideas and brands using patent, trademark and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearhartlaw.com. Our prefer- Professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G E A R H A R T L A W.com. This ad has been read by a non attorney spokesperson.
4: Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth GearHart. And we're talking with Tim McConaughey about publishing and his company, Izard Inc. Publishing. I have kind of a silly question here, but do people even read books anymore? I mean, with the internet and so many other things going on, you've got video games, you've got Oculus. Are people still reading books?
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair question. If you look at the publishing industry, it's stayed fairly stagnant. and Maybe it's gone down one or two percent. Uh, Over the last five or 10 years, you're starting to see the COVID trend of everyone writing and reading kind of go back to pre-pandemic trends. We saw that happen in around September, October of last year. But yeah, people are still reading. I think where you kind of come back and go, well, you know, are people not reading? It's because there's so many books out there. I mean, there's 30, 40 million of them just on Amazon, and it's much easier
3: it's interesting because there's Goodreads now, and I don't know if you help your authors get their books listed on Goodreads, but Goodreads is a site where you can go and kind of check out what books there are and what people are saying about them.
1: Yeah, you've got Goodreads. I think that's also an Amazon company. You've got book clubs that are still happening. You've got audiobooks. You're just consuming it sometimes a little bit different. We've seen audiobooks really grow over the last two years. I'd still consider that reading, but uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe others don't.
3: The question that I have for you, Tim, is I am interested in this. I do have a book I want to write. If I came to you and I had the manuscript, maybe I wouldn't even have it completely done, but I would just come to you and say, does this look like something that you could work with?
1: That's what a developmental editor really helps out with a book is they help you grab the attention. They say this section made sense. This one needs a rewrite. And if you get editors and people who have been in the industry for 20, 30 years, they can pick this stuff right out. And much of the stuff we found, if you're just an average writer, we've taken average writers, you know, and turned them into award winners. And it's really the person you hire. So we did a middle grade book, and we were able to match her with one of the editors from The Hunger Games. And when you saw that come in to when it came out, vastly better. It's who you hire, and it's who you work with that's going to do it and editors can't write, you know, they're the first to tell me that they said, I can't take over for you, but I can tell you the holes. I can tell you some ideas and I can tell you some solutions that make it better. So yeah, if you're looking at a first section of a book, by all means, you know, bring it on in and say, Hey, am I at least going the right direction?
3: Yeah, You know what that reminds me of? When we lived in Atlanta, our son was on these sports teams now. He was in grade school. There were some kids that were doing better than others on these sports teams. And come to find out, their parents had them taking private lessons, right?
4: Of course, right.
3: <laughs> you get the private lessons, or you of course you beat the competition now.
4: But I did want to ask a question, though. Have editors always played such a strong role in books? So if you go back to some of the the masters or, you know, the classics... Do you know, were there editors back in those days that were doing the same things for authors then? Like if you were dealing with Hemingway or Faulkner, I always thought that these people just sat down and they typed stuff out, and that's how you made a great book. But I guess they had editors. Back in the olden days, too?
1: I would assume so. Without doing any more in-depth research, we've worked with an author. I mean, he was very good back in the 60s, you know, 1960s and kind of before that self-published. But even he worked with a handful of editors, you know, it wouldn't have been the same without who we pick to do it—it's really hard. If you think about this, if you're writing, you know, you need that third-party view to make sure you're connecting with your audience. Are my goals and objectives being reached? And we sit down with an author and we try and understand their goals and objectives before, so we can hit that target. Because when you're in the middle of it, you know, you're running a business, you know, and you're in the weeds, you, you kind of can't see how that's being received, and that's an important part. And so, I would assume they've always had editors or feedback from others at least a small team.
4: Are books making money now?
1: I'm afraid there's no such thing as an easy path in life. You know, if you're coming to us saying, hey, let me just make a lot of money, it's not going to be easy. The authors that are very profitable from us, they've put a lot of time into it. They've built their platform. You know, it's taken three, four, five books in order to get there. So we're very upfront and honest with authors. If they come to us saying, hey, I just want to make a lot of money, it's kind of a red flag for us just because there needs to be a lot of passion behind it because it's a hard process. It's really hard.
3: Right, a lot of the people that I know that are writing books are doing it to promote their brand. They're not really expecting to make a lot of money from the book, but then they can say, I have a book and they can say they're a published author on their website. They can say they're an Amazon best-selling author because they gave the system. <laughs> right. It gives them credibility, right? It does.
1: I think if you're doing that for a business, yeah, I think it's wonderful. We worked with cookbook uh, chefs and authors, you know, or they wanted to get their recipes out there they can meet a whole new audience. It's a great way for me, instead of listening to somebody do a speech or paying a lot for an in-person meeting, I can just go and say, okay, let me read your nine hour book or 300 page book, and let me get the most out of it for 15 bucks. I just think it's still very viable.
4: So do you think there's a book in every person? Somebody once said they thought that there was a book in every person.
1: I do believe everyone has a book in them.
3: Richard has been doing some publicity and the guy told him, well, since you have a radio show, you're probably okay without a book. But most people... People that are trying to get publicity write a book.
1: It's also a great way to make extra money, especially if you're speaking. We worked with Dan Clark, and he's a Hall of Fame speaker. And and when he goes and he speaks, you know, hundred, two, three, four, five hundred, a thousand books, he can just book the speaking gig and send a book out with him. It's just a way to make extra revenue
4: too. There you go. I think though, if you go through a reputable publisher, having written a book does give you credibility and authority, and so that credential means that you're somebody that people should listen to.
1: Reputable is the key. And if you do it right, you work with the right editors like we talked about it just only strengthens not only your book but i've seen it strengthen their business you know they can be more concise in their message they can say it better and they know what's going to resonate because they've gone through the processing this resonates with readers this can resonate in my business
4: tim this has been fascinating and thank you for sharing your insights about the publishing industry and Izzard Inc. publishing where can people find you if they want to learn more
1: for i azzardin Happy to chat about any projects that they have.
4: Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt, our special guest, Tim McConaughey. And we'll be back right after this.
7: Hi, I'm Lisa Askleys, the inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world: QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, "Someone should invent that thing"? Well, I say, "Why not? Make it you." If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askalys, the Inventress. Go to inventing a. TOZ.com, inventingAtoZ.com. Email me, Lisa, at inventingAtoZ.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingAtoZ.com.
4: Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We just heard from Tim McConaughey. Really nice update on the publishing industry, what Izzard Inc. Publishing is doing. Lots of great insights. If you haven't had a chance to hear the whole interview, you can pick it up on our podcast, Passage to Profit Show. Anywhere you get your podcasts. And now it is time for Elizabeth to talk about her project. So what's going on with you and your stuff?
3: So I have two projects going on besides this and the marketing at Gearheart Law right now. One of them was called Fireside, but I had to re to Blue Streak. It's a video directory of small businesses online and I've been refining it as I've been doing it. So over COVID, I interviewed a bunch of business owners and I've kind of changed the format. I'm getting a new website done and I'm still interviewing people. And I really had to think hard about what I want to do with this because the website's kind of expensive and where I want it to go. But what I realized when I was talking to my website developer, he said, well, maybe you should focus on a specific industry. And I thought, who do I want to hang out with if I'm going to conferences or events? Who do I want to be around? Because that's where my passion is going to be. So I realize that it is small business owners that I want to be around or business owners. And this directory is different because it's not based on location. All the other directories and the website I'm using now for the directory, all will start with the root of where are you located and find somebody near me. This is the directory for the new normal because it is based on business type and business services for businesses, and it is not location based. In fact, I do have some people I interviewed that are location based, but I might put them off to the side. And my website guy said, keep them on there. But really, this is focused on people that don't need to be in your town to work with you. My other project that I started recently, we adopted a kitten. And he came up from Kentucky to New Jersey. And after I'd had him for a little bit, he started scratching his face. He started around his eyes and I've taken him to vet after vet after vet. And nobody can figure out exactly what's going on with this poor little guy. It's driving me crazy. He's had medicine all his life. It's like Richard actually had the idea. He's like, why don't you find a community that can help you? So I said, well, why don't I start a podcast? And the next day I met somebody who's really into cats and really wanted to do the podcast with me. So her name is Danielle Woolley. So Danielle and I are doing a podcast
4: on cats called the Jersey Podcats.
3: the Jersey pod cats. We have people come on and we just talk to them about their cats and issues they're having with their cats, fun things their cats are doing. The first few episodes were a little heavy because we had people that were kind of into heavier cat issues and we're like, no, this has to be more fun. So now we're getting people on that are kind of funny and that we can joke around with. We're having a lot of fun. We're talking to a lot of people.
4: A lot of people are downloading podcasts, too. So,
3: yeah. And a lot of people want to be we have a huge waiting list, but we're always looking for good people anyway. So
4: let me guess. They all have cats.
3: Yeah, most of them. Yeah, most of them. So let me introduce our next presenter. Jordan Schindler has new fabrics, and this is so innovative and cool. Jordan, please tell us what you're doing.
0: Super simple. We're all wearing clothing right now. What we do is we put medicine into clothing. That simple. So instead of having to take a pill or use a cream or a patch, what if you could just get dressed in the morning to solve your health and wellness needs? And so we've developed a technology that embeds vitamins, supplements, medications in your clothing. And that's effective through multiple wash cycles. So for example, it might be a line of topical analgesics. So think about a pain reliever, like Icy Hot or BioFreeze in a sock, a knee sleeve, a back brace. It might be melatonin in your pillowcase to help you fall asleep at night. Or it even might be a hat with Rogaine to help regrow hair.
4: The possibilities are endless.
0: Ultimately, what we're solving for is patient compliance, right? We're all increasingly busy. We're doing all these cool startups and all these things. And Sometimes we forget to take pills or use creams as directed. It's hard to change consumer behavior, but we all get dressed in the morning. Clothing contacts our skin all day, every day. And it's sort of the perfect platform for simplifying health and wellness outcomes. And that's this category that we pioneered called healthwear. So we see the day where no longer are people going to the store and buying a garment simply based on color or size or brand, but truly based on what health benefit you want from your garment.
4: How did this idea come up? Tell us a little bit where this started.
0: Ten years ago now, I was in college at the University of Washington in Seattle. And like a lot of college kids, suffered from bad skin and learned about the link between your pillowcase and bad skin. And so as you sleep, dirt and oil builds up, clogging your pores and... Ultimately went to the dermatologist and was recommended to wash my pillowcase two to three times per week, which as you can imagine at the time as a college age male was never going to happen. We're uh, almost a decade later and it's still never going to happen. <laughs> but uh, that's what got me thinking about how do you get a benefit from a garment or fabric, something that contacts your skin all day, every day. And so started researching patents, got connected to MIT university and some drug delivery scientists, And then actually came out to north carolina to be in the heart of textile manufacturing advanced materials and so ultimately that's where we started and this company has led to this intersection between traditional textile apparel and pharmaceuticals and so we are this platform company that can deliver all of these different applications more conveniently through a garment that you're already wearing
4: is there an fda component there where You know, you need to get some sort of approval or is that pretty straightforward?
0: Absolutely, there is. So all of our products are actually made here in North Carolina in clean rooms. So we have to go through all of the qualifications that any other drug OTC product would have. So ultimately, it depends on what ingredient you're using and what claims you're making. So if you're starting with something that's a cosmetic or a drug, it might fall under the monograph. If it's something that's like a hydrocodone, right, that's a much more regulated compound that would require a new drug application, which is a three to five year process. So we're staying today in sort of OTC cosmetic, lower regulated. The FDA in essence says in the case of pain relief, here are the levels for safe, effective pain relief. If you can deliver within these levels, here are the claims you can make. So temporary relief of minor aches and pains associated with strains, spasms, bruises. So that's the space that we play in today. But ultimately, yeah, we consider ourselves as a drug delivery device, right? To your comment on antimicrobial, this is really the next generation of that, where there's actually a garment that acts as a reservoir system that can deliver ingredients to the wearer, to the body. And we actually have our own drug delivery lab here in North Carolina at the University of Charlotte, where we actually do comparison studies and measure release via a garment versus a cream. And so ultimately what what we found is that in the case of a cream, most people typically don't do it every three to four hours as directed. They're not really measuring out a dose it's sticky it's messy it gets into your clothing versus if you are able to have a consistent rate of release versus an eight or ten hour day through a compression garment you're actually getting a more effective dose that's penetrating further into the dermis and epidermis than that cream where you get that roller coaster of release over time and so ultimately to come back to your question right we have to follow all the fda procedures even though we're making a t-shirt and so it's been this really interesting evolution of supply chain because I mean, I use the analogy of a bottle of aspirin. If that bottle is supposed to have 100 pills and shows up with 97, you got a massive problem. If my t shirt, has a little too much white or black yarn in it. Nobody really cares, and so we've had to rethink that GMP good manufacturing practice all the way through the entire textile supply chain.
3: So you're not just like taking a tube of icy hot and smearing it all over a sock and saying here. <laughs> <hair. laughs> There's a lot of research and complicated technology behind this.
0: Exactly right. Our early funding actually came out of grants from Department of Defense. There's a lot of military applications as well, right? You think about a soldier. Hiking 40 or 50 miles a day with a heavy backpack on, certainly doesn't want to carry extra weight or extra medicine and not going to stop in the middle of a battlefield and rub a cream on their foot. And so, whether it's a, a pain reliever in a uniform, a stimulant to keep soldiers awake, antifungal for different battlefield conditions, there's a lot of inherent interest there on the military side. And so, a lot of what we do is we actually have to develop that active ingredient. We've actually developed a proprietary way of embedding it into a yarn and then tailoring the rate of release. To correspond to any other topical cream or pill and so we have a number of issued patents on the technology and it's it's interesting you look at sort of the patent landscape who else is in our space it's actually google and apple and and fitbit right it's a technology play while it's a garment platform ultimately what created is actually a a technology
3: this is really cool and you're actually doing shoes too right you'd mentioned plantar fasciitis before we started do you have shoes that help with that
0: yeah, we've got and we've got socks as well. So you think about I'm a trade show or I'm working out or running a marathon. I don't want to stop and rub a cream on my body. And so if you can get that consistent rate of pain relief all day, you actually have a much easier way to simplify behavior. And that's the same that our retail buyers said as well. So, I mean, you can buy our products today at Walmart, Target, CVS, Walgreens and in the pharmacy. And in sitting down with the retail buyers in two minutes, they go, I get it. There's this huge correlation between people buying braces and pain creams. Mm -hmm. Why not just put the two things together, right? I twist my ankle, I'm probably buying a brace and a pain cream. Mm -hmm. It's two products, two supply chains. In this case, it's one product, simplified behavior, better environmental footprint, and it's easier for the consumer. What
4: products are actually out there on the market now that your company is marketing?
0: You can buy our products that are pretty much for any joint or muscle ailment. So we have an ankle, we have a knee, we have a wrist, we have an arm, we just launched a back and a neck. Ultimately, we sent a note to our consumers and they said, what hurts? In this work from home era, everyone's hunched over as I am, back hurts, neck hurts. And so those were the the latest two products that we actually just launched early this year as a response to what do consumers really want and need in their daily lives.
3: You're selling these a number of places. Who's your typical buyer? Do you know?
0: Typically 55 plus someone that suffers from chronic pain or arthritis, taking multiple pain pills a day, worried about liver and digestive system issues, right? Why does this person have to take a pill when their foot hurts, right? Why can't they just apply something directly to the point of pain, and so if you can simplify behavior for that person, they inherently get what we're doing. Secondary audiences is much younger than that. It's, it's athletes. It's people that are playing sports, that are running a marathon, their bodies hurt and they need something to solve that while they're in the middle of a race or a game. It's really anything that can be delivered topically through the skin, either a cream or a patch, you can deliver through a garment form factor. And so there's a lot of application. I mean, we sort of joke, but we get requests, hey, I want a headband for my hangover, right? Like there are certain ingredients that can actually be delivered through your skin into your bloodstream. And so certainly on the roadmap for the future for us.
3: So I went on your website and I was kind of shocked at the price of these because they're not as expensive as I thought they would be. Really, the price is a good deal and they last for 15 washings about. Is that right?
0: That's exactly right. Or 150 wear hours of use. Yeah, we we wanted to price these things as cheaper than buying a pain cream and a brace this thing will last for 4 to 6 months depending on use and 1999 right it's it's actually much much better value than uh, the alternative
3: right for brand new technology like this I, I think that's a really good deal so how many of these can you wear at a time like could i put one on <laughs> one on my back one on my feet
0: it's funny because we often joke about doing a full body snuggie like one of our employees got into a car accident and we're like can you just make a full body suit and ultimately you can control the dose via our technology when we're making them and so you can have a, a lower strength version that's a full body versus a more concentrated extra strength for for doctor's offices and so we're actually able to to tailor that dose up or down as desired.
4: What about fashion and style?
0: So we're actually only providing and creating the yarn, which is mm-hmm. a precursor that goes into any garment that you're wearing. Mm-hmm. And so our yarn might actually only be five or 10% of that garment, right? In the case of a sock, you might only want pain relief in the ankle or in the toes. And so we'll actually partner with leading apparel brands to actually create and implement this into their existing product lines. So you can imagine a Nike sock with Icy Hawk. A Lululemon garment with lay moisturizer, all powered by New Fabrics technology, but you don't actually sacrifice anything on the, the fashion and design side because our yarn is always on the inside where it contacts the skin. And so you can do whatever patterns or companion materials that you're looking for in that garment.
4: Where can people find out more about your products?
0: They can certainly go to newfabrics.com. N-U-F-A-B-R-X.com, or any local pharmacy, Target, Walmart, CVS, Walgreens, next to the other sleeves and braces, and they can check us out.
4: Thank you for that, and I think you're ushering in an entirely new wave for the future of Healing clothing.
3: Something I'm definitely going to buy in the very near future.
0: (laughs) It's really all about category creation, right? This is a new category of Mm -hmm. of garments, and that's what we're trying to create in in Healthware.
3: Excellent. Thank you. Now we need to move on to Scott Wallace with I'm the Chef Too, and he has another product that makes people's lives happier. Tell us about I'm the Chef Too. I'm the Chef
2: Too is an educational company, uh, very different than what I did in my previous life. But it's an educational company that does curriculum-based cooking kits for children. So we teach kids STEM through the vessel of cooking. We do it theme-based. So they learn through a theme, through a recipe, and we make education fun. Uh, We do this through our e-commerce website. We sell nationwide and we're breaking into Canada in the next month or two. Um, And so, yeah, we teach kids STEM and make
4: education fun. So can you give us some examples of the kinds of kits that your company sells?
2: All of them have a theme base. So one of our best sellers is a galaxy donut. So they make a donut with a galactic glaze, but they learn about the solar system. They learn about constellations actually learn how heavy you are based on the gravity on the planet that you're on. So they can calculate how much you weigh on Pluto versus earth or the moon. And so uh, uh, that's one of them. Another one is uh, doing erupting volcano cake. So we learn about um, the earth, uh, the layers of the earth. And then uh, we actually teach chemical reactions when they uh, use um, baking soda and vinegar to actually erupt their volcano cake.
4: These are amazing projects. I just, it, I, I find that the notion of connecting heaviness and weight with a donut seems to make sense to me. <laughs> um, so would they end up with like little pictures of the solar system in the glaze? Is that kind of how it works?
2: With the Galaxy Donut, what we do is uh, they actually make a glaze and then we give them the food coloring and they swirl it around and they dip it. When they pull it up, it actually has what, it looks, it looks like a galaxy. It's a, you know, really just a vibrant color scheme of what you would see if you were looking into, into the night sky.
3: There was one I saw on your website that had little animal shapes. Do you give cookie cutters too with some of these or?
2: Yeah. So every month, uh, so we do subscription base and then we have our Alcar kits. So those are previous subscriptions. Our model is to make 36 kits in the next 36 months. Every one of our kits come with the dry ingredients, which we produce in our food manufacturing facility. And then the specialty items, which will be the silicone molds. If you're you're making a donut or if you're cutting a cookie, Uh, one of the kits that we have is they make a medieval castle. So they get the cutting tools to make that. And then we give them... The silicone that actually presses into the fondant that we give them so that they can actually make the walls and make it look like a, a medieval castle oh,
3: so really this is kind of like gingerbread houses on steroids right
2: <laughs> yes my partner in life and my boss in, in work uh lisa wallace uh, this was her, her brainchild and when she came up with the idea she was like listen i need to talk to you and i was like okay um what's up by the way she was eight months pregnant with a third child and when I'm getting back from the operating room and I hear, uh, I need to talk to you at nine, nine o'clock at night, uh, that's never a good thing to hear. And she was like, listen, I want to teach STEM through the vessel of cooking. Uh, we have a son that's special needs. And uh, she was really connecting with him through the kitchen. She goes, there's STEM and there's cooking. There's nothing that comes together. And I was like, well, that's, yeah, it's a great idea. And I was like, how can I help? She goes, well, I know nothing about running a business. I'm like, okay, we'll figure that out. She's like, uh, so I want to pick your brain. I need $500 and um, I just need your support. Done, done, and done. That was on a Tuesday. On Friday, a couple questions through the week. She comes, hey, I need to talk to you again. I'm like, remember that idea? I'm like, yeah, the cooking thing. She's like, yeah, I have good news and bad news. I'm like, we always start with good news. What's up? She goes, well, I have our website set up. My um, LLC has been submitted I'm under budget and my next class is tomorrow. What's the bad news? She goes, you're my assistant. That was the the birth of I'm the chef too.
4: That's amazing. So what have been some of your biggest challenges in moving forward with your business? What are some of the mountains you've had to climb?
2: The biggest challenges for us is adapting to what the market was looking for. We started off as a rolling kitchen summer camp business and COVID actually put us out of business. Uh, we had just signed up. We were just commercializing. we had had 600 campers that had pre-registered and the lockdown happened. And we're like, we bought all the supplies, probably like 60 grand in for the year. What are we going to do? I'm like, well, let's box them up and sell at home summer kits. And it's like, sure. I have no idea how to do that, but we'll figure it out. So, you know, literally, we started building these kits in our kitchen and we had to learn how to be a service company to becoming an e commerce company. And we did that on the fly in the lockdown. We couldn't even find toilet paper. We were trying to find people that could sell us bulk materials. And so that was a huge challenge. And then it's like, okay, how do we get our name out there? How do we make I'm the Chef 2 a household name? Going into the digital marketing, like uh, talking about like, hey, people need to know you before they'll buy from you. How do we make ourselves a presence? We've figured that out through partnerships. We banked a lot on other people's network and just digital marketing, figuring out what our customers wanted to hear and then multiplying. And then also not falling in love with any one kit, like kits that we've made that I loved. Like, why aren't people buying this? They're not buying it because it's not their market, right? So it's letting the things die that aren't working and working with what our customer base is telling us to do. And that's been a huge thing for us. It's listen to the ambassadors, are the people that are telling us what we need to be and following that, continuing to create iterations of our business to make us better. And it's always gone through. And we make lots of mistakes, only making the mistakes once possible and growing from those mistakes.
3: And I love that. I mean, we've done previous shows with people and the theme is listen to what your customers want. Not everybody wants what you want. So I don't know if I'm going to write a cat book now. <laughs> but after
4: If it's in your heart, but, you should do it. But,
3: but what I, I will say is you guys were really smart to move into a space that was just developing that had been developing for a few years, which was these at-home cooking kits. So those had been around for a while, but they were always dinners for adults, right? I don't know that there were a lot of these super creative, awesome looking at home cooking kits that combine science and art for kids. So you did a twist on it, but you still were in a category that people recognize.
2: For me, it's like if you only if the only option to jump is to jump, you jump, right? And so uh, there is no fail. Uh, you just continue to do what you need to do. Like for us, it's always trying to create the better mousetrap. And we're on our like fourth or fifth iteration of our business. And every time we come out leaner, better, smarter, and we just try to continue to adapt to what the market's asking for and continue to make kids learn and learn without knowing that they're doing their homework while eating
4: <laughs> you kind of <laughs> sneak yeah. it in there under the donut right
2: this
3: is awesome where do people find your kids
2: so they can find it on imthechef2.com and uh we're also on amazon check us out uh we're a subscription-based company as well as a la carte so come see us at i'm the chef too
3: Excellent. Thank you very much, Scott. So we need to go to a break. Listeners, you've been listening to Passage to Profit, Road to Entrepreneurship with Richard Elizabeth Gearhart, our special guest today, Tim McConaughey. And you can find our podcast tomorrow if you missed any of it. And we'll be right back.
6: What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearheartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson.
4: It's Passage to Profit. Now it's time for Noah's retrospective.
6: Noah Fleischman is our producer here
3: at Passage to Profit. And he never stops trying to make sense of the future by looking at the past.
5: There is a fascinating book I finally got around to reading. It was written almost 60 years ago, and it was called Understanding Media by a professor named Marshall McLuhan. Believe me, if there's one thing this man did not understand, it was media. The poor thing spends an entire book trying to convince us that the newest form of electronic media, which back in those days was television, is actually serving to divest us of our independent capability of thought and action as a people and only serves to turn us into some kind of mind slaves in the process of aiding and abetting the electronic message in its own right. Come on. Did you ever... You know what I'm gonna do? I'm going to go on Facebook and write a couple of paragraphs of just what I think about this. Then I'm going to go onto Twitter and form my thoughts into one of those little four-word captions and let people know. Next I'm going to go onto Instagram and take a photograph of his book and post it next to a photograph of a mushroom cloud. I think that will really convey the message that, y- oh, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking, and I can tell you right now it's not true. My television is in another room entirely. It's not even plugged in, and I don't even have cable. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth, Passage to Profit.
4: What an amazing show we've had so far. Now it's time... To get to know our guests a little bit different way, this is the brainchild of Elizabeth Gerhart, co-hosting. And so what is the question of the week this week?
3: I'm going to ask Tim first. Tim, if you were to write a book about yourself, what is one of the most important things that would need to be in there?
1: I think one of the most important things that would be in there is to embrace challenges, embrace when everything is going wrong. It just makes you stronger. You know, I love it when things go wrong because just as I'm the chef too, is just saying, you're able to look back and look at those times where you're like, hey, there's no way out, but there really is. And it makes your business better. It makes you better as a person. You know, I've hit those pivotal moments in my life, and I've been able to reach out and find the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Program, which put me on a foundation to then in April graduate from Harvard Business School and with a certificate in Owner's President Management. It's been through those times of adversity, That it's made me a better person.
0: And so that's what would go in my book.
3: Excellent. Jordan, what about you? What would be the most important thing in a book about you?
0: Outside the box wins. So this intersection of two different categories, right? Pharmaceuticals and textiles has not been easy, but I think looking at how do we think differently? How do we try to solve problems that haven't already been solved is what's allowed us to be successful as as a business. And I think that's a, a lesson for everything, right? What are the problems in, in my life or in other people's lives and go out and think differently and then solve it. And I think if, if we can all do that, the world will be a better place.
3: Excellent. Thank you. What about you, Scott?
2: Yeah, great question. Uh, I would say never give up. Life is always going to throw something at you. It's adapting and overcoming problems so that you can be a better you. We've had lots of those in our lives with lisa and i and it's always just never give up and just positive outlook you can solve the problem
3: yeah seems to be a theme what about you richard
4: before the discussion started i was really thinking you know you can grow you can become more effective you can acquire more skills you know that's part of the fun of the entrepreneurial journey and i can certainly say I'm a different person compared to who the person I was 15 years ago. And I like to think that I've, at least in some ways, I've improved a little bit.
3: For me, I have to go along with our presenters. I think life is a series of solving problems with some joys thrown in. As little as which shirt do I wear today to which company do I invest my money in, right? So that's what it is. But we have the joys thrown in as well. So that's good. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Our guest was Tim McConaughey, publishing technology expert, founder of Izzard Inc. Publishing, and you can find him at izzardinc.com.
4: Yeah, he wrote the book on writing the book.
3: And then we had Jordan Schindler with New Fabrics, N U F A B R X.com. Truly cutting edge, out of the box technology that everybody's going to love.
4: Absolutely. If you want to see what the future looks like, look up Jordan Schindler on the internet and the dictionary, he'll be right there. (laughs)
3: Yes. And then we had Scott Wallace with I'm the chef too. And his website is I'm the chef too. I am the chef T O -o, O.com. Really super creative next generation baking kits for kids that they're just going to love. What a fun activity to do with your kid.
4: Absolutely. And we're all about STEM here. Anything that we can do to slip science in, even without the kids noticing it is really a big plus for us and everybody else. So we'll be back to the station next week with another episode of Passage to Profit. But before we go, I'd like to thank the Passage to Profit team, Noah Fleischman, our producer, Alicia Morrissey, our program director, and Mark Wilson, our syndication manager. Our podcast can be found tomorrow anywhere you find your podcast. Just look for the Passage to Profit show. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And remember, while the information on this program is believed to be correct. Never take a legal step without checking with your legal professional first. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.